mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today after losing nearly the entire month of October to the fight over the speakership, Representative Bob Latta shares his thoughts on getting back down to business in Congress. Also this morning, one week ahead of Election Day, the Institute for Civics and Public Policy at Ohio Northern University has released a new poll on voter attitudes toward the state ballot issues on reproductive rights and marijuana use. We'll take a closer look. We have some simple DIY winterization tips to cut your home heating costs as the temperature drops. And the weather turning colder, the fall colors are fading, but there's still plenty of outdoor happenings in November with the Hancock Park District. Michelle Rumschlag will tell us what's happening. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, October 31st, 2023. Man, is it cold this morning. Wow, uh, sweater weather has arrived. How do you feel about that? I mean, I know a lot of folks uh, are very adamant about turning on the heat in the house. <laughs> we were talking about this, I think, yesterday, uh, about how you know some people are, are like militant that before November and for some people even later, they absolutely refuse to turn on the heat in the house, no matter how cold it gets. I'm going to freeze to death first. I'm not going to turn on the heat until 1st of November. It's just too uh, too soon. But how do you feel about sweater weather? I mean, I admit, I pulled out the uh, sweaters a couple of weeks ago. Not last week. Last week was very nice, but didn't need uh, sweaters. But, you know, it's been getting cooler. And I start with the like the the thin sweaters, you know, not the, the real thick winter sweaters yet. But today is one of those days... That uh, you're going to need a little something a little more substantial. Um, if not a sweater, it is a flannel kind of day for sure. Um, and going to be over the next uh, couple of days. If you left your car out overnight uh, in the driveway or park on the street or what have you. If you don't have a garage, you will likely need to scrape your windshield this morning. That was I was a little late getting into the studio here uh, because... <laughs> Because I couldn't find the uh, ice scraper, um, get the frost off of my uh, windshield. And so, you know, there is that. But anyway, it is uh, definitely uh, very chilly this morning. As you are uh, waking up, getting your day started, maybe the first thing you are doing this morning is uh, getting up early to uh, pack your kids' lunch. You send your kids to school with a uh, healthy lunch. Parents, how many times... Have you made your child's lunch in the morning, packed their lunch, only to get it back at the end of the day uneaten? Frustrating, isn't it? Well, a a new survey of parents who pack school lunches found that 44% say they would rather fold laundry than pack their kids' lunch they're not going to eat. 40% say they would rather load or unload the dishwasher. 29% would prefer tackling the bathroom, cleaning the bathroom than... Packing a lunch is not going to get eaten. 16% of parents in the survey said the lunch always comes back eaten. But experts say you're probably more to blame than your kids are. And it's not necessarily because they don't like what you're packing, although that might be at least part of the culprit. They uh, point out that since lunchtime for many school kids lasts only about 20 minutes, You need to make sure that you are packing things that they can eat quickly. Pre-cut 
fruit, smaller sandwiches, smoothies, anything that's easier for the kids to eat quickly because they only have about 20 minutes. Something you might want to keep in mind as you're uh, packing your kids' lunch this morning. However, one thing that you uh, need to be aware of, uh, if you have those Wanabana apple cinnamon fruit puree pouches, they were sold at uh, various retailers, including Sam's Club, Dollar Tree, Amazon sold them online. They are being recalled. The Wanabana, W-A-N-A-B-A-N-A, Wanabana apple cinnamon fruit puree pouches. Uh, if your kids have consumed these, they say take the kids to the doctor for a blood test because... Four kids were found to have had elevated levels of lead in their system. And the Wanabana apple cinnamon pouches are the common denominator. The agency tested multiple lots of the pouches and found what they described as extremely high concentrations of lead. So parents beware. As a result of the findings, uh, Wanabana issued a voluntary recall of the popular uh, fruit puree pouches. And uh, again, if your kids consumed any of those, I want to get them to the doctor just to check them out. That's a little bit scary. Um, Speaking of recalls, this this has been an ongoing thing for a number of months. The FDA warning consumers not to use over-the-counter eyedrop products from several major brands. They say there could be a risk of eye infections leading to vision loss or complete blindness in some cases. Brands include CVS Health, Rite Aid, Target Up and Up, Velocity Pharma, Leader, and Rugby. The uh, FDA said investigators found unsanitary conditions in the manufacturing facility and positive bacterial test results from environmental sampling for critical drug production areas in the facility. That doesn't sound good. That doesn't sound very good. So uh, a couple of things for you to be aware of uh, here this morning. Uh, Products that you may have in your home. Every day, you know, there is something that we have to be fearful of and concerned about beyond those two items that we were just mentioning international researchers are issuing a dire warning of security and privacy concerns lurking within your smart home Uh, this is uh, research from northeastern university along with mdia networks or you know online uh experts networking experts scientists were able to demonstrate a variety of security and privacy threats due to the local network interactions of devices in your home and the mobile apps that control them as smart homes continue to evolve they encompass a wide array of consumer focused internet of things devices iot devices including smartphones smart tvs Virtual assistants, closed circuit uh, security cameras, etc., etc., etc. And according to the research, these devices uh, all come equipped with cameras, microphones, and various sensors 
that can perceive activities within our most intimate spaces in our homes. However, can we truly trust these devices to handle and safeguard the sensitive data they collect? Uh, When we think of what happens between the walls of our homes, we think of it as a trusted private place. In reality, researchers say we find that smart devices in our homes are piercing that veil of trust and privacy in ways that allow nearly anyone, particularly the companies behind these devices, uh, we are uh, allowing those companies to learn what devices are in our homes. Uh, They know when we're home. They know where our home is. They know what we're doing in our homes. David Schoffness Associate Professor of Computer Science and Executive Director of the Cybersecurity and Privacy Institute at Northeastern University, basically is warning people, be careful about these home security and smart home devices. They may be too smart for our own good. What are they really so smart about? It's just, you know, the one thing that we need to worry about every day. There's something that we need to worry about, be fearful of, so on. That's what we're worried about today. Just to pass it along. And uh, lastly here, among the first things that you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day, uh, there is uh, new research out from Smart Asset on the fastest growing cities in America. This is another one of those year-end lists. You know, this time of year we get into uh, all of those year-in-review lists, year-end lists, and so on. And Smart Asset is ranking, they, they looked at the population trends for more than, well, nearly 350 cities across the country. And they have determined that the fastest-growing city in America is Buckeye, Arizona. Buckeye, Arizona, between 2017 and 2022, this is the data they looked at, so this five-year period, uh, the population of Buckeye, Arizona grew 48%. Can you imagine growing 48% in five years? Seven of the 10 fastest-growing cities in America are in the southwestern region of the country. Uh, Some of the others include Enterprise Nevada and Goodyear, Arizona. Um, Let's see here. Sugarland, Texas and Frisco, Texas. Some of the other cities that uh, uh, are very fast-growing population. Riverview, Florida and Meridian, Idaho uh, were over 25% growth. So some of the uh, cities with the highest population growth of the five-year period ending in 2022. Uh, let's see here. This is kind of interesting. The biggest gender shift is, uh, let me see here, Davie, Florida. The city, the largest population shift towards men was Davie, Florida. The city, uh, the city's share of men jumped from 46.4% of the population to 51.3% of the population in that five-year period. Fullerton, California, was the city with the biggest population shift toward women, 
Over that five-year span, the percentage of women in Fullerton grew from 48 to 53% the population. So, kind of interesting. And the, the cities that are closest to us in the top 20 of fastest-growing cities in America, Fishers, Indiana, at number 17, and Dearborn, Michigan, at number 14. So, some of the uh, cities with the highest population growth over the past uh, five years. None of the top 20 are actually in Ohio. If you are looking to go someplace that is, you know, bustling and exploding in growth, uh, Buckeye, Arizona is uh, the place to be. So there you go. Some of the uh, most interesting and but I don't know, you know, it's not something that really impacts us necessarily, but it's definitely one of those things that make you go, hmm. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Tuesday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Partly cloudy today with a high in the low 40s. Partly cloudy tonight, uh, low in the mid to upper 20s. The state of Ohio will be studying the effectiveness of those distracted driving zones that have been enacted over the past few years. There are 12 distracted driving corridors in the state, but the Highway Patrol is focusing on four of them, including one right here in Delaware County along Interstate 71. Distracted driving zones have a dedicated Highway Patrol officer to watch people if they're on their phones. A company called Cambridge Analytics plans to pull driving data from mobile devices to see whether or not people who are driving in these areas are touching their phones while driving. Based on their studies, the distracted driving zones could be moved to other areas where drivers are at greater risk. Reporting from Delaware County, County, Kevin Landers. The stretch of I-75 between Finley and Beaver Dam is one of those distracted driving safety corridors that carries extra enforcement and higher fines. Get more on our website. The new splash pad Soak Park at City Park in Fostoria is slated to break ground next summer. In May, the fundraising began to raise money to demolish the dilapidated swimming pool at City Park along with the bathhouse slide and concession stand and replace them with a new splash pad and Soak Park. The mayor says the project is an example of what can be accomplished when various entities, individuals, and businesses work together for a community project. Get more on our website. We're one week away from an election which will determine two contentious statewide issues as well as local races and issues across Ohio. More than 236,000 Ohioans have already cast their ballot in person so far. That's around 89,000 more votes than this time last week. It's also around 24,000 more than we saw during that same time frame for the August 8th special election we saw earlier this year. I'm Colin Dorsey. State Issue 1 is about enshrining abortion rights in the state constitution, and State Issue 2 is about the legalization of recreational marijuana. Get more on our website. The Hancock Park District has announced the conclusion of their Bat Condo Project at Arrowland Recreation Area. The structure is designed to hold up to 10,000 mother bats and their young. Get more details about it in the story on our website. And remember, you can always get more news online at WFIN.com. So our cover story this morning after losing nearly the entire month of October to the fight over the speakership, Representative Bob Latta is with us once again this morning. Share his thoughts on getting back down to business in the House. And Congressman, thanks very much for uh, taking the time once again. We appreciate it. Well, thank you very much for having me on. Well, now, the uh, last time we spoke, uh, you were highly critical of some of your fellow Republicans for causing this mess with the speaker and... uh, uh, also critical of, of others for prolonging it, but I know the, 
The party is easy, uh, eager to uh, put all of that in the past. There is a speaker, finally, and much has been made of the fact that Mike Johnson is the least experienced legislator to be elected House Speaker in 140 years. What are your thoughts on Mr. Johnson? Is he up for the job? Well, you're absolutely right. We had a problem, a real problem. We had eight Republicans uh, join with 208 Democrats and uh, push out Kevin McCarthy. And, uh, you know, we went through uh, Steve Police, Jim mm-hmm. Jordan, right. Tom Emmer, and mm-hmm. none of them could get the 217. And so when we uh, met uh, for the pretty much, <laughs> you know, pretty much people that wanted to put their name in the hat, and it was, I said, well, maybe what we need to do is, have 221 straws, and whoever got the short straw lost, <laughs> and then they had to be speaker. Um, because that's probably what it was getting. It's, it's getting to be the, probably the worst job in in America for a Republican. Yeah. But uh, I've, I've known Mike since he's been elected, and, and he's been uh, kind of lower in the uh, echelon on our ranks in the, uh, on the in-house leadership. Right. But uh, he's been very, very active uh, and uh, as a legislator, and that's something that I think is important because he's been out there with quite a few bills, and he's also, of course, has served on the uh, Judiciary Committee. So I think that the, the big thing is for anybody, because Kevin McCarthy, people don't realize this, and the time that he's been in the House of Representatives has brought in a half a billion dollars for House Republicans. Mm-hmm. Nobody has ever done that, yeah. and and not only that, it's, and again, it's been a it's a it's a tough job. But uh, uh, Mike, I know uh, it was out over the weekend uh, out west, and so really soon after, I know Kevin was on the road 230 days last year, mm-hmm. and so you just have to make a commitment that you're going to be gone all the time. Yeah. Uh, it has been pointed out that in this political climate, uh, and you were kind of alluding to this, the fact that he is somewhat unknown and less experienced may have actually worked in his favor because he doesn't have a lot of baggage that could give people a reason to vote against him. But uh, the more we get to know him, uh, we find out he does hold many of the same views as the far right wing of the party. So the question becomes, can he unite Republicans, first and foremost, and more broadly, work across the aisle to unite the House to actually get things done. Well, you know, uh, you make a very good point because, again, uh, we since I've been in the House, not one Republican speaker has ever gotten every every vote on the floor. Yeah, and Mike did get every vote. So we have about sixteen or seventeen Republicans that are running and what we call D-plus Democrat districts, I mean, tough Democrat districts, mm-hmm. and they all voted for him. And uh, they would not vote, you know, they weren't voting for Jim Jordan. And uh, so, I mean, it was going kind of back and forth. So I think that uh, in Mike's case that, you know, he made, when he made his presentation to everybody, and I think a lot of, again, people know who he is, that uh, he, has, he has to understand, too, that we've got people that are in very, very tough districts. And when you have a only 221 Republicans in the House, which means we can't lose, if you lose uh, four four people, uh, you know, you're out of luck. Right. Uh, so, I mean, he, he understands he's going to have to have a, a broad uh, umbrella out there to make sure that uh, uh, the bills that come up, uh, he understands that they can't put certain people in jeopardy. And so this week, you know, we're going to, we're going to try 
Wednesday, Thursday, Friday to uh, bring up three appropriation bills. We've got about 75% of all the appropriation money done right now, but now we want to try to get everything else done in a very short order here. And uh, so that's the, the big test for Mike this week is get all these bills out and across and get them across the finish line. Yeah, obviously the uh, first order of business is avoiding a shutdown with the previously approved continuing resolution expiring in just a couple of weeks. And uh, it, it seems yep. like the only way uh, to fully get that done is going to be another CR. But the longer you keep kicking this can down the road, the closer we get to a presidential election, which exponentially complicates things. Are you confident you can get an actual budget or uh, at some point, or are we looking at just a, a series of continuing resolutions here? No, because what we have to do is get these bills, get them over to the Senate so we can sit down with the Senate and uh, do something that we never hardly ever do anymore with conference committees, get these things worked out. And uh, because, again, the if you do, you know, we had to do the short term to November the 17th, because I think it's important for people to remember with what's happening in the Middle East with the uh, mm-hmm. attack on Israel. We've got two battle groups now, the Eisenhower and the Ford aircraft carrier groups that are, you know, in that area. They schemed right there. On October the 13th, if we hadn't acted, we'd have sent all those people into harm's way and say, oh, thanks very much. By the way, we're not going to pay you. Right. And so all those people who've got families at home and have to pay bills and mortgages and electricity and buy food, uh, buy gasoline, they, could, they couldn't have helped their families. So, but a, a CR is the a problem with the CR is is that you're not going in and delving in, and that's one of the things that uh, the what they call transportation uh, and uh, housing urban development. That's one of the appropriation bills. The interior, the mm-hmm. ledge uh, ledge branch, all of those you can go in item by item then and really you know clean them up. But if you just do a continuing resolution, you're just staying right where you were, spending the exact same amount of money, right. and not uh, getting this getting this problem solved. And so that's why we want to get these things done. And uh, I think that uh, you know we're going to if we can get these three done this week, we're going to make good progress. You mentioned uh, the uh, crises uh, that that we are looking at uh, in Israel, and the president has requested more aid for Ukraine, and there is quite a bit of debate going on about linking those two aid packages into one piece of legislation. Uh, There's been a lot of folks who want separate votes on aid to Israel, aid to Ukraine. Are you comfortable with linking those two together, or are you among those who want to see separate votes on each? Well, uh, in fact, we're going to have a separate vote this week on just the uh, Israeli aid. And a big part of that is for what they is Iron Dome. And their Iron Dome is their missile defense system. Right. And, and again, uh, you know, they've, they've pretty much expended everything they have. When you think that the Iranians who, you know, they're, they're the largest state-sponsored terrorists in the world, they have two goals. Number one, to destroy Israel. And number two, uh, to kill every American they can find. And so they they pretty much have outfitted Hezbollah in the north, and that, this is not Hamas, but Hezbollah, mm-hmm. with over 100,000 missiles and rockets. And there's no way the Israelis can stop all that. 
And so um, we've got to make sure that we can do all we can to help them in the missile defense system and, and to backfill what they need right now or that they unleash those things all at one time. I mean, it would be a massacre. Uh, what about aid to Ukraine? Have we sent them enough, or do they need more? Well, and again, uh, you know, as the winter starts to set on over there, that uh, the uh, ground would be hard enough, especially for tanks and other types of tracked uh, uh, vehicles. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, one of the, you know, one of the things is that, especially for um, fighter aircraft, you know, we've pledged to get them some M- uh, F-16s. And uh, But one of the problems that Obama and Biden both did, they just trickled this aid in there instead of getting it all in there as fast as they possibly could. And, you know, the and, and again, no one ever thought the Ukrainians could hold out against the Russians, and they have. And, uh, you know, like if, if uh, Putin and you and I have talked, if Putin would have been in, uh, uh, in taken over the Ukraine in three to five days, which a lot of the pundits thought he would, that he would have looked around and attacked another country because mm-hmm. his whole goal is to reconstitute the Soviet Union. And a lot of these countries that he'd be looking at are NATO. Right. And we have a pledge that uh, if one NATO country is attacked, we're all at war. Mm-hmm. So pretty much the Ukrainians right now are fighting everybody else's war. Yeah. Um. Also, want to ask you about this uh, before we let you go. What about the farm bill? We were talking about that here yeah. on the show a few days ago. The farm bill is overdue; it's actually expired now. New speaker yeah. has said uh, that he wants to push that through by the end of the year. But is that really possible on such a tight timeline, or are we looking at ex- an extension here as well? Well, you know, since we had so much time, we were sitting around so much talking about who was going to be the speaker. I was talking with G.T. Thompson, a friend of mine who's from Pennsylvania, who is the chairman of the Ag Committee. And the goal is to get this thing done because we've got to have a farm bill. And I always want to emphasize to people, when we talk about a farm bill, 80% of that farm bill is food and nutrition, right. uh, food stamps and things like that. Mm-hmm. Only 20% of it is actually coming down to, and I don't think you're going to see a lot of change because in the last farm bill, um, you know, I represented at that time with the old configured district, the largest farm income producing district in the state. And all of our farmers were saying that they uh, didn't want uh, direct payments, but they were looking at, they were looking at more of being able to get insurance. And so on that safety net side. So I don't think we're going to see a lot of change, uh, in, but we've got to get a farm bill done. Again, uh, Representative Bob Latta with us this morning, finally getting back down to business after, as we mentioned, losing nearly the entire month of October to the fight over the speakership. But good to see that things are moving in the uh, right direction. Congressman, thanks very much for taking the time, sharing your views. We appreciate it. Well, have a wonderful morning. Thank you very much. You know how some elections ballot issues are hardly talked about at all, but in this election, they are front and center. And with one week until Election Day, the Institute for Civics and Public Policy at Ohio Northern University is out with a new poll gauging voter attitudes on those issues. Dr. Robert Alexander is with us now. And that was kind of the first thing that jumped out at me uh, from this data was the fact that as we were alluding to, whichever way people decide on issues one and two, it won't be due to voter apathy. Ohioans, it seems, have very strong views on both of these subjects. 
Yeah, I mean, both issues, uh, they're the only things that are on the statewide ballot. So special election time. And uh, there's there's a lot of money being spent, particularly on issue one. Um, issue two, you haven't heard as much about, but I think most people know it, it relates to uh, marijuana. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of interest. In, and certainly across the country, there's a lot of interest in what's going to happen in Ohio on both of these issues, but particularly on uh, the reproductive rights in issue one. Yeah, that is uh, certainly a, a valid point as well that is uh, worth noting. So let's take a look at issue one, first of all, and that would add reproductive rights to the state constitution. There was a slight change change in the ballot language uh, as uh, what voters will see as compared to the original submission. Did that move the needle on the way voters felt about the underlying issue itself, which did not change? That's a great question, Chris, and we were really interested in trying to, to find that out. And so um, a lot of public opinion polls throughout the state over the past year have shown a, a very strong uh, majority support for a general sense of abortion access, mm-hmm. uh, including our own polls, along with um, national pollsters as well. Um, as you pointed out, the ballot language is actually a little bit different. And, uh, and advocates for issue one would say that uh, the ballot board added some loaded language by uh, replacing fetal viability with unborn child. And, uh, and so in order to, to answer that question, so instead of just taking a look at, you know, do you support abortion access or not? Yeah. We actually split our sample up into to one part of our sample, received the original ballot language uh, that was uh, produced by the advocates for issue one. And then the second part of our sample received uh, the language that will, is actually appearing on the ballot right now that says unborn child. Mm-hmm. And we did find a difference in uh, levels of support. Um, people were much more likely to support the original ballot language that said fetal viability yeah. as opposed to the current language which says uh, unborn child. I, I will also point out that uh, even with the unborn child language, we did find majority support uh, among uh, respondents. But it is closer uh, to uh, a, a, an even split than it was before, which again, some would argue that was the point. Uh, but at the end of the day, yeah. uh, the poll does suggest that issue one is more likely than not to be approved by voters either way. It, it would be a big surprise in, in my eyes. I mean, we've not seen one public opinion poll that has shown that uh, abortion rights is uh, that issue two is failing with the majority um, uh, against it. Uh, every public opinion poll has shown either high 50s or in our case, we showed 52 percent when kind of saying, do you? agree or disagree with the original language in up to 60% if we just forced a yes, no answer. So yeah. I think that the odds are that it will pass probably in the mid fifties. And, you know, we're going to find out pretty soon. And and you take a look at what's happened with abortion, abortion initiatives across the country. Uh, our neighbors up to the North, uh, they, they passed a, a similar, um, uh, uh, initiative mm-hmm. uh, just a few years ago yeah. and uh, with pretty high numbers. So 
uh, it would be surprising if issue two, if issue one were to fail at this point. It, it really is interesting. You were touching on this before. The poll does find that a majority of Ohioans agree with the concept that reproductive issues, including abortion, are matters that should be free from government interference. But there is much less agreement on the policy specifics, sometimes uh, called the guardrails mm-hmm. against the most extreme aspects of that. And that seems to be consistent with the way those opposing issue one have framed their messaging on this. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think both sides of, of the of issue one are trying to kind of point to extremes, right? So, yeah. you know, advocates are saying that, you know, you'll take away your right to an abortion completely. And then you've got uh, folks saying that if issue one is allowed to pass, that it will just allow for extremes on the other side of it. So, you know, um, when you get into the specifics in any kind of legislation, support t- typically will fall a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would also point out that, you know, Ohioans are generally, leave me alone. Uh, there's a pretty strong populist streak. People, p- for the most part, don't want government in their lives. And, uh, and so issue one is one of those ways that I think its framers are trying to say, you know, uh, we don't want governmental interference. They're trying to frame it as between a doctor and, yeah. and a family. So, yeah, um, yeah it's, it's how you frame the issue is really important. Um, and when you look at issue two, you didn't come right out and ask people whether they were likely to vote for or against this measure, but rather what their thoughts are on marijuana use in general, right? And you find actually very little stigma associated with it in 2023. Yeah, we were we were kind of surprised. Uh, you know, there's people that are asking questions about whether it will pass or not pass, and we did ask whether or not folks uh, be- believed in kind of legalizing marijuana. Uh, and uh, just two thirds of, of those in our poll said that they agreed with it, and uh, and really that tracks with national figures, which are pretty high. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when we asked, you know, do people use it? Have they used it? We found again large portions of Ohioans that have tried marijuana. Uh, now we didn't distinguish in that case whether or not it was medical marijuana or recreational. Uh, I'm assuming, I'm, I'm supposing, hypothesizing that uh, the uh, existence of medical marijuana is is also probably making um, this recreational one a, a little bit uh, of a less of a stigma. Mm. Having marijuana uh, availability in places like Michigan and New York has also made it more accessible. And again. Um, less of a stigma associated with it. So a lot of people wouldn't think less of their friends or family if they, you know, found out that they were smoking marijuana yeah. um, or doing edibles. And so, yeah, this uh, it, it, this would be a shocker um, if uh, issue two were to, to go down. It's worth noting, uh, and I don't know if your poll examined this or not, but issue two would not change the Constitution, only the Ohio Revised right. Code on marijuana policy. So I wonder if voters are also thinking, you know, this is much easier to undo if it becomes problematic. And I, I wonder if that's something that voters would take into account as well. You know, I, I don't know if voters are that sophisticated on this particular topic is- at the ballot box, but I do wonder whether or not some of the opponents recognize that, and that's one of the reasons why so much money has not been spent um, opposing. Fair enough. Because they recognize that they can change it uh, if it is indeed passed. Yeah. Again, uh, Dr. Robert Alexander is with the Institute for Civics and Public Policy at Ohio Northern University. The Northern Poll on Voter Attitudes and Issues 1 and 2, it's all up there on your website if folks want to do a deeper dive into uh, what you found, right? Absolutely, and uh, we'll be releasing some some more information uh, shortly 
on the presidential race in the state, on the state of the Senate race, as well as uh, polarization and toxic politics. And just let me tell you, Ohioans are really sick of the toxic politics that are out there. Be really interesting numbers to see as well. Dr. Alexander, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Chris. Well, last year, spending on home improvements and repairs, which was already a sizable industry, uh, grew to nearly $420 billion. But lots of people also found out that it is very easy to get in over your head on some of those DIY projects. So joining us this morning to talk DIY done right, uh, along with some energy efficient tips uh, now that we're coming into the uh, cold weather season. Mark Dawson is with us. He is Chief Operating Officer of One Hour Heating and Air Conditioning, Benjamin Franklin Plumbing, and Mr. Sparky Electric. And Mark, one of the things that you point out, and I thought this was really interesting, uh, is that properly diagnosing an issue is one area where do-it-yourselfers can get tripped up. It's hard to fix a problem if you don't know what to look for and where to look for an issue. So it's not just turning a wrench or driving a nail that uh, it goes into this. That's true. So, you know, in today's uh, world with YouTube videos, everybody's looking to do some things themselves. And sometimes they kind of get in over their head. It actually causes more damage uh, than, than good, right? And so if you're going to do it yourself, make sure you're confident in what you're doing. Uh, also, make sure you have the proper tools to do that. And, uh, and if you do anything that requires a permit, then you need to stop, uh, call the expert, let them come in and do that part of the job because it's important. They understand the local requirements. And then the codes, and when you go for inspection, you'll pass the very first time. The The bottom line is, and I know that especially guys, we get caught up with it. Oh, I know how to do this. And uh, it, it's kind of an ego thing. But uh, again, these things can be much more expensive if they are done wrong and you have to fix it later. So that's probably like the first piece of advice for someone who is considering a DIY project. Absolutely. So it's uh, the uh, Tim the Toolman mentality. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so what are uh, some ways, again, we're talking about energy efficiency here too, with the holidays right around the corner, the uh, uh, colder weather settling in. What are some of uh, the ways that the that we can be energy efficient as we come into this, uh, this uh, upcoming season? Yeah, there's actually a couple things you can do there. So first of all, let's just talk about uh, holiday decorations. So everybody's getting ready to put their lights out, and let's talk about what they're doing. So there's some things you can do to be energy efficient, and uh, when when just to add solar lighting uh, around the house versus traditional lighting. So it just runs off the sun. You have the flexibility to hang those lights anywhere you want to. You don't have extension cords running through the yard, and uh, so that's a good option. The second option around holiday decorating lighting is going to be, you know, are you using traditional lighting, the old type of lights? Well, you, it's time to upgrade to LED lights. And when you do that, you're going to have about uh, 70 to 80% savings on usage of energy. And those lights actually last about 20 times longer than the traditional lights. So a good return on your investment. Absolutely. Um, also, this is the time when we spend a lot more time indoors. Uh, indoor air quality becomes a an issue. What are some ways to improve that during the winter months and the holiday season? You know, with the holiday season coming up, this is the first time that a lot of families and friends are going to be able to get together uh, as a group. And so you want to make sure that the air quality is good. So you have a, a professional team come in and actually clean and vacuum out the ducts 
right, where all the air flows through and uh, remove that dust and those particles. They'll spray some uh, disinfectant in there, good air, uh, clean air. Second thing is, is that, hey, you, you may want to look at updating or upgrading your air filtration system, right? So it actually uh, removes microscopic uh, particles, and so a good investment of, of time there as well. Here's one perfect example of a common home maintenance issue that a lot of folks will run into, especially this time of year with the big holiday gatherings and so on and all the food and so on. Um, you end up with a, a clogged sink. Uh, what's the best way to what's the best way to fix it? Yeah, well, that that happens regularly during the holiday season. First thing is let's try to prevent it from getting clogged in the first place. Always so the best idea. Things down there, yeah. So don't put down large bones or grease or coffee grounds, things like that. Any kind of fibrous vegetable, such as an asparagus or celery, those things are no-nos. Uh, but if it does get clogged, simple remedy uh, is you take vinegar and baking soda in equal parts and pour down the drain. It'll foam and fizzle and push that clog on down the drain. Do not uh, use harsh chemicals. It actually does damage to your garbage disposal and to your pipes over time. Really simple uh, solution. The first thing to uh, to try may not always work, but that's a, a good first step there. And by extension, again, to kind of circle back to where we started, when do we know that it is time to call in uh, an expert? What is your advice uh, for someone who is considering either a home maintenance or a home project um, and you know, determining whether it's something that they uh, are okay to handle on, uh, themselves or call in a pro. So, so my advice to anyone would be: I would always call the expert, right? So, uh, people's times are valuable, uh, and so I'd rather you spend that time with your family and friends than working on a project trying to figure it out. So, save yourself some time, some money, and energy. And just call the expert from day one. Well, it's uh, not a bad uh, thing to consider because, again, it's one of the things that we don't often factor in is what is the value of our time and uh, the hassle of, of dealing with a, an issue ourselves. So something to keep in mind there. Again, Mark Dawson is Chief Operating Officer. One hour heating and air conditioning. Benjamin Franklin Pumling and Mr. Sparky Electric. Where do we get more information, Mark? So we have uh, licensed experts around the country. You can go to our websites, which are www.mrsparky.com or benjaminfranklinplumbing.com. And last uh, is onehourheatingandair.com. Mark, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Have a great holiday. Information that makes a difference. Good mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. So we have a uh, Halloween story because, you know, it's Halloween, so it's uh, appropriate on, you know, this Halloween day. I think this is the last Halloween. Well, I can't really say that. I mean, we may be uh, hearing post-Halloween stories for another few days yet. But here is your uh, Halloween item for today. A lewd Halloween display in Lakewood, Washington is upsetting some parents. (laughs) And uh, the staff at a nearby elementary school. The uh, decorations feature skeletons in, uh, shall we say, inappropriate positions. Um, As some (laughs) have described it, it it is a display of um, some boning bones, if you want to put it that way. Um, <laughs> skeletons in inappropriate positions. 
the homeowner, however, uh, even though he has been contacted by neighbors and the school, the elementary school nearby, steadfastly refuses to uh, to remove the display. And and so the school has uh, resorted to put up to putting up privacy fencing so so that students cannot see the display from their classrooms. Yeah, that's a little that's a little much. You know, I get it. You know, you, you know, put up a provocative display and generate some headlines in your 15 minutes of fame. But come on, man. It's right by a school. The kids can see. Come on. Uh, let's see. Elsewhere in the uh, broken news, some of the other uh, odd and unusual stories from... Uh, this uh, from a uh, pharmacy in South Carolina that was reportedly broken into with a potted plant. <laughs> broken into with a potted plant. Police allege that six people uh, used uh, the uh, plant to break into Williamsburg Pharmacy's drive through window. Security footage shows the masked suspects loading the back of a vehicle, the criminally complicit greenery lying at the what what was left of the criminally complicit greenery lying nearby police report that the suspects sold prescription narcotics um drugs from a different pharmacy while were also found at the scene so this is not the first uh, incident apparently involving uh, these suspects who remain at large Break, I just breaking into the the place with a potted plant seems odd. Uh, try to explain this one to your boss in uh, California. A tarantula crossing the road, being blamed for a massive tra- traffic accident. Uh, the spider-induced pileup occurred uh, just a few days ago while a couple was driving. Their rented camper, um, their rented camper van on State Route 190 east of Town Pass in Death Valley National Park. All of a sudden, the sightseers spotted the furry arachnid ambling across the highway and jammed on the brakes to avoid striking it, causing a 24-year-old motorcyclist to plow into the back of their vehicle and uh, then it was on a uh, multiple car uh, pileup, all because of a tarantula crossing the road. You imagine explaining to your boss why you were late for work because somebody jammed on their brakes to avoid hitting a tarantula. But I guess if you live in that part of uh, California, uh, that would be sort of like squirrels crossing the ro- <laughs> the road in ohio and we've all had that happen where somebody is jammed on their brakes to avoid hitting a squirrel so i guess tarantula and death valley would be much the same thing uh hopefully everybody okay in that incident but, yeah. um speaking of tourists this from the international file the broken news uh lazy tourists viewing Scenic mountain spots in China's Zhejiang province can now skip the mountain hiking altogether with giant escalators that they have built to reach the best 
viewing spots. <laughs> Giant escalators up this side of the mountain. Uh, tour operators have installed massive escalators on the side of the mountain to help tourists gain access to the best views with virtually no effort. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you visit the mountains, but you don't really want to climb the mountains. You just, <laughs> you just want to see the views. So they've installed massive escalators, scenic uh, scenic spots that were once only accessible by hiking on precarious trails are now available to anyone willing to ride one of these escalators uh, for a few minutes at the most. For example, Tanyu Mountain, uh, with an altitude of 350 meters, which is, what, about 500 feet? But due to the uh, sheer nature of the uh, the cliffs and so on, it's only 500 feet tall, but... You know, the trails are a little dicey. Um, It says tourists by foot have to walk three mountains around the mountain in order to reach the summit of this, uh, of Tanyu Mountain, making it inaccessible for young children and the elderly. But thanks to the new escalator, anyone can now reach the top of Tanyu Mountain with virtually no effort. (laughs) I, I don't know, just the idea of... Riding an escalator to the top of the mountain. You want to go to the mountains and actually do some mountain hiking? No, we don't want to do that. <laughs> that would be too much work. So now I've got an escalator. Uh, let's see. A couple of other uh, items here in the uh, broken news. A Connecticut man has been arrested for using his Dodge Challenger equipped with red and blue police lights to expedite his daily commute. You remember the story we had yesterday, the uh, broken news? What was it in, uh, I think it was South Carolina or something? A woman uh, was arrested for having a car that looked like a state highway patrol car because she liked the color scheme. In this case, a guy in Connecticut uh, equipped his Challenger with red and blue police lights just to expedite his daily commute. (laughs) State police pulled over Michael Marshall, age 43, after observing his vehicle with flashing red and blue lights, a feature obviously typically reserved for law enforcement vehicles. Mr. Marshall confessed to using the aftermarket controls to activate the lights, admitting he was not a sworn officer. He had no authorization to use them. He was just trying to uh, get to work faster. Uh, Mr. Marshall now faces charges for impersonating a police officer and his vehicle was towed from the scene. Um, (laughs) So he ended up being late for work anyway. (laughs) File that under the category of sounded like a good idea at the time. And lastly, uh, once again from the uh, international file, a retired opera singer in Great Britain went from renowned baritone to bow and arrow wielding maestro of chaos at a uh, British nursing home. So here's the story, uh, and and see if you can picture this. A disgruntled voluntary resident denied his shopping spree, roaming in the hallway with a bow and arrow. As the bewildered staff made a panicked call to police, Mark Holland, the uh, retired opera singer, In question, armed with his bow and arrow, stormed out of his room, butt naked, 
belting out a tune that only he could understand. <laughs> call him, call him the cops. Uh, I think we have a problem here. <laughs> Residents uh, were forced to seek res refuge in the cellar as uh, Mr. Holland's rampage caused nearly $3,500 worth of damage. But the operatic villain was no match for the forces of law and order as police tasered him into a stunned silence. And uh, he has gone now from a resident of the nursing home to a resident of the local jail. So, all kinds of weird. There you go. Uh, that is uh, today's broken news report. Uh, definitely the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Did you know more than 80 million Americans depend on AM radio for their news, traffic, weather, sports, and a community connection? AM radio is the backbone of the emergency alert system, keeping Americans safe in dangerous times. This is News Director Matt Demchek. AM 1330 WFIN is here to serve you, and we take seriously our commitment to our listeners. We would love to hear what you value most about AM radio. Visit wearebroadcasters.com and tell us how you depend on AM. Now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. Do you consider yourself a spender or a saver when it comes to the way you shop? Spenders are those who just go out and buy the things that they want and they don't really worry about how much it costs. Savers, on the other hand, are individuals who typically don't buy anything until what they want goes on sale. They're very price conscious when it comes to that. According to a survey of 2,000 Americans, 56% of us are spenders. We're free spenders. 56%. Just 34% of us fall into the category of savers, that we are very price conscious. And there is a big difference between the two. Spenders will spend... About $621 on non-essential items weekly. That's a lot of money we're blowing on stuff that's not essential. $621 a week. Uh, on the other hand, savers will spend $348 on non-essential items weekly. Still a lot of money, but about half of what the, spree, uh, the free spenders will spend. Spenders tend to be happier with their relationships, their work life, and their professional life. However, savers may have the upper hand when it comes to financial security. Uh, obviously, because they're spending less money. Christine Roberts from the organization Citizens Pay says, in a way, it makes sense that people feel happier when they are spending more because... You know, we get that dopamine rush, and we've got something new. We've got a new toy. We've got something new that we really want. Uh, I mean, it's why we enjoy Christmas so much, right? Uh, so it makes sense that people feel happier when they're spending more. But spending more is not necessarily the same as spending responsibly. When it comes to big purchases, 61% of Americans think about how long the item will last, first and foremost. 57% consider how often the item will be used, and 55% wonder 
if they are getting the best deal. So those are the top three things that we consider uh, when deciding whether to make a purchase, at least if we're being cognizant about it. And then there are those who just go out and spend regardless. I think I would put myself into the second category of, uh, of saver. Um, but your mileage may vary. This is a kind of interesting study, though. So here we are, uh, the weather obviously turning colder, fall colors are starting to fade, heading into the month of November, but there are still plenty of outdoor happenings, things to do for the Hancock Park District as we come up on a new month, and Michelle Rumschlag is here with details on what's happening. Um, Definitely getting into the change of seasons. Right, and I heard like flurries tonight, and I'm just like... Exactly. I, December. Like, don't, let's not jump the gun and give me snow in November. It's not, it's not that it's no. going to stick or anything like that. Right. Um, but yeah, we might see some uh, snow flurries. Just another sign that we are into this uh, new season here. And not right. one where people necessarily think of getting outdoors as much. Right. Because it gets colder. And like I said, the fall color, there's still some there, but it fades. And so mm-hmm. I think people just get into. Yeah. Right. That it's not a good time to be outside but it i mean it still is because you're seeing again you know we're still in fall but getting into later fall the leaves are coming down but then you get to see like the nests that are still like Mm -hmm. you know that were made this summer and just it just gives everything a different look no mosquitoes i mean you know if you don't like the hot which i don't i mean you kind of bundle up and Mm -hmm. it's just a different you know look in the woods when Right, all the leaves are down, and, exactly, and it gets a little cooler out. So, what's going on in the uh, month of November? What you got on the uh, calendar? Well, want to bring up. Um, so, we've had our self-guided fall float trip. So, this is the last weekend here coming up. Okay. And so, the fourth and fifth, I believe, are my dates. If I got that right. And um, so, of course, you need to HancockParks.com for all of our November programming, and we do have December out there already. So okay. Gave people a little early preview of you know what to plan for we've got things happening kind of during the holidays or the holiday break mm-hmm. you can do that um but you need to get on there to register by this friday at one o'clock and it's ten dollars for single kayak and then 20 for a canoe but both people have to sign up so it's really ten dollars a person okay for saturday and sunday's one o'clock start time so you need to sign up and the weather looks a little warmer back into like think right. the high 50s right. maybe 60s yep. be so milder. you know if you want to get on the water one more time this is your last chance until next Memorial Day. Okay. So I just wanted to put that out there for people who um, wanted to, right, kind yeah. of get on the water one yeah, more time. One last chance. But we do have some hikes kind of happening um, coming up here in November. And one of them that I'm actually doing is taking place on Saturday, November 18th. And we're doing a sunrise hike. So, again, bundle up probably. It starts mm-hmm. at 730 in the morning. We're going to meet over at Shelter 5 there in the Oxbow Bend area at River Bend. And it's open for all ages. You don't need to register anything. Just kind of show up. Um, but, yeah, we're going to see, you know, the sun will be rising, kind of coming over the Blanchard. And, again, we're going to still have some woodpeckers probably, you know, um, moving around. Most birds will have migrated at that point. But mm-hmm. there's still a lot of winter visitors, squirrels, yeah. rabbits, maybe some deer mm-hmm. kind of thing. And so, 
Right, just a nice way to get outside in early morning and take in nature and the okay. serene and probably cool. <laughs> yes, yes, very much so. Cool atmosphere will be will be happening then. What else is uh, on the agenda here uh, for the coming month? Well, we um, Tim Clayman, who's our, our uh, one of our program specialists, is actually doing a couple of Native American stories throughout the month of November. I believe he's got three planned, but one of them happening kind of later in the month. Um, it's a Native American story with um, entitled Coyote. And so, again, um, a lot of Native American stories have um, kind of ideas of how, you know, they got their maybe the pointy nose or the long tail or different things. And so going to be talking about um, talking about that and Native Americans of the Southwest. And then throughout his stories, I know kind of highlighting different Native Americans that are going to be mm-hmm. – um, that are kind of found, found throughout the United States. Yeah. So this is Thursday, um, November 30th at 10 o'clock for 3 to 5 with an adult. Okay. But other age siblings are welcome to attend. Um, but for all ages, again, sticking with the Native American theme, um, he's got an open house coming up this Sunday on the 5th. Okay. From 1 into 4 at the Discovery Center. Again, going to be talking about um, ones kind of found in this area um, or historic tribes of Ohio, like with the Wyandotte, Ottawa, Miami and again, learn about different things, how they would have lived, um, and really in the early 1800s when they were here. So when the first okay. pioneer settlers were coming, including the McKinnis family, how they would have interacted with them, and then, of course, the yeah. removal in the mid-1800s. And, of course, in the month of November, uh, with uh, Thanksgiving and everything, right. there's uh, kind of an emphasis on the Native Americans and the relationship with the early right. settlers and, and so on. So, especially for the little ones, when they start hearing those stories, that may kind of pique their interest about, you know, American... Right, and there were so many different tribes and different ones that, I mean, there was just all kinds of, of, right. of Native people that were... Not only in Ohio, but throughout the United States. So he's going to highlight, again, some of those for young children with his Native American stories. Um, but for all ages, again, on Sunday um, from 1 to 4. So okay. I, I assume it's going to be um, very popular. Yeah. Uh, folks need to sign up for that or is that nope, another that is, one of those? That is for all ages. Up. Nope, okay. just free, no registra- registration necessary okay. for that. Very so. good. Uh, anything else to uh, highlight for the uh, month of November here real quickly? Well, just letting everybody know, um, of course, Thanksgiving will be here before we know. It. Right. <laughs> it's only a couple weeks away. And we do have a variety of programs taking place that week. So I know everybody it varies by school if, if, if they have the whole week off mm-hmm. or just a couple of days. But we do have um, activities that Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, some for young ages, some for adults. Okay. Um, again, there's like five or six things happening. Right. Um, you know, maybe you've got family coming into town or people have grandkids. So definitely check it out. I think most are not registered, not, not a cost. Mm-hmm. Um, but just put that out there if you're looking to... They have some activities for that Thanksgiving break. And along the yeah. same lines, you mentioned December's programs are coming up, and yes. you have a similar schedule of programs during the uh, Christmas some break. Some during right? the There's Christmas some, break, and then the kind of leading up. Christmas so, and it, New Year's. yeah, that Thursday, Friday before Christmas, I know, is when most schools um, are kind of going on break. So, I know we've got an open house on the, I think it's the 22nd there, just okay. as most kids get off. And then, yeah, a few things happening during the Christmas break. Okay. And then, Next month I'll be talking skiing, so hopefully you know we'll start getting some snow, but that's not till mid-December. So I'm <laughs> hopefully we don't get we'll any snow until it, then. Right, yeah. what we're talking about it then? Yeah, 
Absolutely. Don't need it much now. We're going to talk more about the uh, programs in December, obviously, uh, here next time we visit, but want to put that out there in case you're making some early holiday plans. Right. They're out there. And then just to let everybody know, probably mid-month of November, we'll have January, February. So we'll have full winter, but December is out there right now for everybody to look at. Uh, Real quickly, want to mention, because we've been talking about this uh, in the uh, the news at Airland, uh, got the new uh, Bat Condo up. It's very exciting. I haven't seen it yet. I've seen pictures and I saw the polls in. Mm-hmm. Um, my son played fight football um, this fall and so I saw after those went in. So I haven't, it's only been up a week. Right. And I, not even a week and I haven't been out there yet. Um, but yeah, very exciting. It's kind of, we're, you know, it'll take a couple years to maybe get fully filled. Six to 8,000 bats. Yeah. This is, it's your it's worst nightmare or I'm like, obviously <laughs> so excited well, and this in, is, about it. And this is what I wondered. I wonder how many, uh, how the, the people who kind of live in that area uh, feel about uh, thousands of bats taking residence uh, there. But, no I mosquitoes. Mean, these, They're going to eat so many mosquitoes the good and thing, other yeah. insects and things. Um I mean, and if they're living in the condo, then they're not visiting your house. Very good So point. these are going to be bats that like, there's certain bats that like structures. And so instead of, again, maybe finding your house, mm-hmm. cozy and lovely, they're going to they're gonna be out there. So I right. don't think it's going to be much change. And really, they might see less insects or mosquitoes because they've got so many there. Bats um, are things that we do want around. I mean, we right. definitely... Oh, yeah. Bats yeah. are, yeah. So, I mean, you can build your own and put up, again... This time of year, most are are migrating or starting to get into hibernation. I saw mm-hmm. a few at the Halloween parade on South Main last week, um, still kind of flying around. But as this colder weather, again, they're eating insects. The insects are going to be around, and so they're going to be. I mean, they've been preparing for winter here for mm-hmm. for a while now. Like so, every animal does. Yes, so they're going to be. You know, not seeing as many. So you know, next year we'll definitely keep an eye on it and see. But hopefully, in the next coming years, yeah, we'll yeah. have full capacity and. Oh, pretty cool stuff. Very exciting. Yeah. Very exciting. Stuff. Very yep. exciting for yep. uh, conservationists, to be yes. sure. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure that we'll have uh, more programming to talk about. Oh, totally right. And we've got some new kind of bat detecting equipment um, that we've been using. And so, yeah, be able to get out there and do it kind of live to detect who's going to be in there. And then also some things that we can put up, you know, yeah. and, and kind of detect those things of what kind of bat species we have in parks. Good stuff. Uh, again, uh, Michelle Rumschlag here from the uh, Hancock Park District. Uh, more information about all of the uh, November programming uh, at our webpage. We've got the link up at goodmornings.net. Michelle, thanks very much. Thanks for having me. And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program, of course. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the program at our webpage. That, of course, goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow on the program, something you don't see very often on the local ballot this election day, a Democrat running in a contested race for city council. But does he stand a chance? Plus, Blanchard Valley Health System CEO Myron Lewis on being named among the best in state by Newsweek. So until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.